Available right now via the iHeart app and iTunes. Our two new podcasts. Armstrong and Getty, one more thing. That's our daily after show podcast. And Armstrong and Getty Extra Large featuring our interviews of the most interesting people in the world. Subscribe today via the iHeart app or iTunes. Or wherever podcasts are given away for free. Because we're stupid. John Stewart. Yeah, John Stewart from The Daily Show. It's been an issue of his for a long time. He was talking about back, back when he was still hosting The Daily Show all the time. The health care for the first responders there on the rubble at 9-11. Yeah, and the horrific, horrific health problems they've suffered from all of that dust, all of that material that they breathed in. Ugh. Yeah, and uh, getting Congress to move on that and take care of them has been a battle like so many things are. For all kinds of different reasons, some of which John Stewart's going to get into here. Um, he talked for about nine minutes total. We're going to play you about half of that, which is a longer chunk of anything than we ever play. But I know I listened to the whole thing and never got bored yesterday. Yep, yep. And he's incredibly eloquent on the issue and a very effective Congress shamer. Of course, he's wasting his time time trying to shame Congress, in my opinion, but... And then we have I appreciated up- the effort. And then as soon as he's done, we have an update on the story where it is now. Here's John Stewart from yesterday. The breathing problem started almost immediately, and they were told they weren't sick, they were crazy. And then, as the illnesses got worse and things became more apparent, well, okay, you're sick, but it's not from the pile. And then, when the science became irrefutable, okay, it's the pile. But this is a New York issue. I don't know if we have the money. And I'm sorry if I sound angry and undiplomatic, but I'm angry, and you should be too, and they're all angry as well, and they have every justification to be that way. There is not a person here, there is not an empty chair on that stage that didn't tweet out, never forget the heroes of 9-11, never forget their bravery, never forget what they did, what they gave to this country. Well, here they are. And where are they? And it would be one thing if their callous indifference and rank hypocrisy were benign, but it's not. Your indifference costs these men and women their most valuable commodity. Time. It's the one thing they're running out of. This should be flipped. This hearing should be flipped. These men and women should be up on that stage, and Congress should be down here answering their questions as to why this is so damn hard and takes so damn long. And why, no matter what they get, something's always pulled back, and they got to come back. 
Mr. Johnson, you, you made a point earlier, and it was one that we have heard over and over again in these halls, and I, I, I couldn't help but to answer to it, which was, you said, look, you know, you guys are obviously heroes, and 9-11 was a big deal, but, you know, we have a lot of stuff here to do. And, uh, you know, we've got to make sure there's money for a variety of uh, uh, disasters, hurricanes and tornadoes. But this wasn't a hurricane, and this wasn't a tornado. And, by the way, that's your job anyway. We can't fund these programs. You can. Setting aside that no American in this country should face financial ruin because of uh, uh, a health issue, Certainly 9-11 first responders shouldn't have to decide whether to live or to have a place to live. And the idea that you can only give them five more years of the VCF because you're not quite sure what's going to happen five years from now, well, I can tell you, I'm pretty sure what's going to happen five years from now. More of these men and women are going to get sick and they are going to die. And I am awfully tired of hearing that it's a 9-11 New York issue. Al-Qaeda didn't shout death to Tribeca. They attacked America and these men and women and their response to it is what brought our country back. It's what gave a reeling nation a solid foundation to stand back upon, to remind us of why this country is great, of why this country is worth fighting for, and you are ignoring them. And you can end it tomorrow. Why this bill isn't unanimous consent and a standalone issue is beyond my comprehension. And I have yet to hear a reasonable explanation for why. It'll get stuck in some transportation bill or some appropriations bill and get sent over to the Senate where a certain someone from the Senate will use it as a political football to get themselves maybe another new import tax on petroleum. Because that's what happened to us in 2015. And we won't allow it to happen again. Thank God for people like John Field. Thank God for people like Ray Pfeiffer. Thank God for all of these people who will not let it happen. They responded in five seconds. They did their jobs with courage, grace, tenacity, humility. 18 years later, do yours. Thank you. So this just across uh, this morning, it appears the bill that would permanently extend the expiring VCF, as he called it, the Victim Compensation Fund from 9-11, has the votes to make its way through Congress because he did shame them and it made it onto TV and they're mm. embarrassed so they're going to actually do something on this issue as opposed to other issues where people say exactly the same sort of thing but they aren't famous or maybe as good at it and so nothing ever happens. Are you sure we can't just delay for a week or two and then use it as leverage to get another, I don't know, 500 miles a wall or on the other side, uh, better benefits for illegals? Let's uh, Let's use this as leverage. You cannot exaggerate the the evil and the the lack of decency 
in Washington, D.C. Yeah, it's the worst form of government except for every other. I mean, well, yeah, it's, I, I it's would, just, I it's would just, agree. It's but, incredible. It's incredible that it happens. But the founding fathers were more than aware. They designed an entire system of government to limit the government's power. That was the key aspect of it. You can't give government too power, too much power, because it always gets perverted. Always. So, anyway, good for John Stort. Yeah, that is the only thing you can do is make government as small as you possibly can so that perhaps it'll be more responsive. And or and or as local as you possibly can because it's much more responsive. Can you imagine a, a cause more universally embraced than taking care of the first responders uh, on September 11th, 2001, and the folks who pawed through the rubble trying to find survivors or salvage the remains of those who died. Can you imagine? Well, perhaps, yeah, taking care of our veterans would be such an issue. And yet, Congress does what Congress does, even with that sacred task. They just screw around and use it to, for pet projects and whatever. I don't know. The best part of that was, and this is just, it's just always been. I mean, I hate to be this cynical, but it's always been and probably always will be. So these are, these are basically people, warriors in a war. You know, they didn't know war was happening until that day, but so they're, they're like, like soldiers in a war. And the history of wars is people get gung ho to fight wars and really excited about it. And as soon as it's over, eh, what are you going to do? For the for the people to fall in the war, that's just the, that's the history of it, right? The widow, it's the awful. orphan, the injured vet. Yeah, we got other spending priorities. We've got a lot of things we need to deal with here," said the congressman. Right, that's the history of wars, and it's it's awful that it's true, but it just is. What's that? There's a saying we like, a British poem or something. Takes like one that. to know one. Oh, it it yeah, it has to do with uh, yeah, when it's time to go to war, the parades and then the shouting and the yeah. cheering and. When it's time to come home, who are you? Yeah, so that was my favorite part of it, is there's not anybody up on that stage, or there were, actually weren't anybody, weren't very many people up there, because they didn't show up to this hearing. Right. Um, Even though it's mandatory, theoretically. But there wasn't anybody that should have been occupying that seat that didn't tweet out some sort of BS about never forget. And that's always the case with wars and crises, and as soon as it's over, you move over, move on to the next thing. Right. It's, you know, that's a cynical view, but that's just the way it would well, I, don't, I don't know. If, if, it's, if it's real, it's not cynical. I mean, that's, that's just realistic. And, and good for John Stewart, and, you know, lucky for these 9-11 veterans that there's somebody like John Stewart on their side. Because, like I said, when non-celebrities who maybe aren't quite as uh, well-spoken, you know, he's a professional communicator, he's one of the best it ever been, if you don't have somebody like that on your side, because him doing that, okay, they voted. Uh-oh, people caught, uh, People are watching. We better do something. Mm-hmm. But without that, yeah, good luck. Yep. yep. It's, it's frustrating. There's no doubt about it. Well, that's some serious stuff, Jack, no doubt. Important, very, very serious, and I'm glad we, we dealt with we it. We could get back to fighting old celebrities. That meme is continuing to be funny. Excellent, yeah. <laughs> In the spirit of Justin Bieber wanting to fight Tom Cruise for reasons that are still obscure to me. Tom Cruise is 31 years his senior. It seems like an odd thing to want, but uh, yeah. so yeah. Which gives me my chance to fight Larry King, as far as finally, I can see. Finally, finally. Yeah. <laughs> I think you'll thrash him, too, as he clings to life. Major, major transition point in the United States of America. For the first time this year, U.S. adults will spend more time using a mobile device looking at their mobile screen than a TV screen. It's the first time On it's average, been true. It's been true for me for many years, for better or worse. It's right. probably been true for me for, I'll bet it's been true for me for 10 years, about as long as I've had a, an iPhone. And it ain't even close. 
It's like one of those horse races where the horse is leading a long time and starting to think, wow, that champagne's going to taste really good. Do they give the horse champagne its thinking as it runs? And then the horse that was just biding its time thunders past, like farts at the lead horse as it goes by with disdain. That, that is how quickly smartphone use is crushing TV use. More on that coming up. Disdainful flatulence on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Launching a service that will have employees bring groceries directly into your home. It's perfect for anyone who felt the one thing lacking from their Walmart experience was home invasion. <laughs> ah, I laughed at the joke, even though I'm uh, guessing Stephen Colbert doesn't do a lot, spend a lot of time at Walmart. Um, I can't think of the last time I was in Walmart. Not. Uh... I go not, to one not intentionally then. or anything. I go to Target more often. I'm more of a uh, I have Target stock. It's closer to our house. You believe it's a higher class of people? I believe it's a higher class of people. Walmart experience, big parking lot, big store, a lot of walking. But sometimes what I need is at Walmart, and I go to Walmart to get it, and it works perfectly fine. Um, the amount of times you're behind somebody that's got some sort of complicated government card that they're paying for their stuff and slows things down is much higher at the Walmart I go to. Mm. So you want the poor to starve? Redistributing the wealth. Yes. Um, so we had a couple of things. Oh, you had the, you had that amazing stat. Uh, Marshall's going to mention China. What's the latest on the protests and the government cracking down? It's the light of day. Usually the Chinese roll in and uh, and snuff people in the dark. So I don't know if they're going to do that in the light of day. But And or, here's my prediction. Uh, I've got a decent level of certainty on this. Not great, but decent. Uh, they are, as you know, busily snapping pictures of uh, everybody participating in the protest. They will randomly select mm, ten to 15,000 people and arrest them for rioting because the Orwellian chick who's in charge of uh, uh, Hong Kong has declared this a riot, not peaceful demonstrations, and anybody caught rioting can be sentenced to 10 years in prison. They'll round up 15,000, 20,000 people, sentence them to 10 years. They'll disappear and not be seen for a very long time, if ever again. And it will uh, terrify a lot of other people. And uh, and the protests will stop. And the march of uh, subjugation will continue. That's my prediction. Now, how the Hong Kongers respond to that first 15,000 jailed, that will tell the tale. Speaking of uh, Target or Walmart, yesterday at the Target, my kids... Uh, bought something with their own money, really for the first time ever, where they've gone through the whole process themselves, and they were oh, that's good. very excited about it. Henry is really wanting a Lego set, and I said, you know, you just got some presents, and you know, we had a birthday, Christmas, or whatever, and he said, oh, I'll buy it with my own money. He's had some money building up from birthdays and Christmases over the years, and he was going to buy it with his own money. I said, okay, it's your money. And uh, we get to the Target, and when it's his own money, and he's carrying it in a wallet, it yes. couldn't be cuter. Velcro? He's, 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 yeah. He's counted the money several times to make sure how much he's got. And he's Do got they the, make wallets without Velcro, Sean? <laughs> he's got the wallet with him, and he said, it's so much different buying something when it's your own money, because he's really worried about 
Ah, How the much first step toward right. libertarianism. It's uh, it's it's yeah. He said because if I spend this much, I'll only have this much left. Yes, that's the way it works when it's your own money. Um, he said I'm actually sweating trying to make this decision. Wow, <laughs> wow. I said you know you don't have to buy something. I said sometimes I've wanted to buy something and I get to the store and I decide you know what I'm not going to buy it and I go home. I've I want to think about it a little more. Yeah. yeah. So he ended up buying a reasonably priced Lego set as opposed to the one that he would have wanted had I been paying for it. And uh, then we got we did the self checkout and he put the money in and looked at the screen and followed the instructions and it was it was pretty exciting. He was so excited about it. Very cool. Having bought it with his own money. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. The uh, my nineteen year old. We were talking last night for an hour and twenty one minutes. I looked at my phone when we were done about all sorts of topics. But you know, one of them was money. She was talking to Judy earlier in the day. Uh, her mother, my wife, about um, grocery shopping and was like, "Oh my god, I almost had a heart attack." I'm just trying to get myself food for about a week, and so what do you do? How do you how do you like plan? And we were talking about the sweet spot between bulk buying, which will save you money in the long term, but you've got to lay out that money and just oh man, she said if this is adulting, I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody has that experience all the rest of their life, as far as I can tell. Because I'm starting to get into adulting that happens as you get older, and I don't like it either. But it's just part of the deal, right? <laughs> Right, yeah. It's, Every bit of adulting. Yeah, no kidding. Nobody, it just it comes on you. Because then at some point, you know, you're taking care of your parents. And you know, mm-hmm. you weren't looking forward to that either. I had Neither, a conversation and, with my parents about that last and night. And them being taken care of by their children. They weren't looking forward to that. So Uh-oh. it's just a, all these things that come upon you, you weren't looking forward to. Yes, it's a parade of misery. Then you go to the grave. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> Life is pain. Whatever time you're listening. <laughs> Life is pain. That's our message. <laughs> Who would listen to this garbage? What's coming up in your news, Marshall? I'm so sorry. Uh, Hong Kong protests not letting up, and neither is the pushback from the government. More clips from the Trump-Biden battle and an answer to the housing crisis, sleeping pods. Life if, is pain. That's our takeaway from the show today. And if you haven't heard the Trump-Biden stuff, brace yourselves. Armstrong and Getty. think the 10 highest paid athletes in the world is an interesting, semi-interesting list. How about the highest paid athletes of all time throughout history adjusted for inflation? Oh, wow. Number one will shock you. Wow. I don't know if we'll get to that this I hour I like a not, good shocking. Because we're going to talk to Lon Hee Chen, one of our favorite pundits, about a bunch of different stuff coming up. Not idiot partisan spin realism. I love it. I'm from a guy who knows what he's talking about. Yep. A news now with Marsha Phillips. Well, we got thousands of people back in the streets of Hong Kong. Protesters blocking entry to the city's government headquarters, delaying the hearing on a proposed extradition bill that's become a lightning rod for concerns over greater Chinese control and erosion of civil liberties in that territory. Now, ABC's James Longman is on the street. Tear gas pellets have been fired. Our protesters can see people, a lot of people here struggling to breathe. We've seen one woman faint, and it has the police have succeeded in their goal of dispersing the crowds, but this was supposed to be a peaceful protest, and, well, it hasn't turned out that way today. Well, I was just watching a live CNN report, and it is yeah. now coming up on midnight there, so it's the middle of the night, and these protesters have to be aware of Tiananmen Square and how that all went down 30 years ago last right. week, how in the middle of the night the, uh, the bad stuff happened. And so they, they've really ramped up their barricades, just all kinds of just stray 
metal sheeting and cardboard and, 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 and plywood and boxes and stuff like that to try to give them some sort of sort of, sort of barricade, which right. will not hold up much to a tank. I don't know if the Chinese China China has any tanks in Hong Kong though. I don't know if that's even. I, a thing. I think the police are pretty well equipped, but we'll see. I tell you this, and it makes me sick watching the whole thing because seeing millions of people um, have their freedom forcefully taken away from them and be subjected to the, uh, you know, the heavy hand of totalitarian communism is just sickening. And the fact that it was preventable is also sickening. Their only option, I think, is. I'm thinking this through. Do I mean this? Yeah, I think I do. It would be a probably suicidal demand that all Chinese control, um, any increase in Chinese control, stop now. Stop now and stop forever. Because you cannot make a bargain with a landslide, with an avalanche. They're, I mean, their they're saying is, okay, we've gone far enough, we, we, we can't accept this. And I appreciate the effort, and they're right, this is a huge step, but I don't see Xi Jinping relenting no. and saying, you know, you're right, we got enough control of this Millions of people who function as a valve for getting uh, information in China that's detrimental to the Communist Party and all the revenue available and the fact that y'all are disobedient. We're, we're just going to live with that. There's no way they do that. Carrie yeah. Lam, who's the chief executive of the Hong Kong government, says the hundreds of thousands of people who are protesting just don't get it. She says they think they're protesting a proposal that would allow extradition of criminal suspects to mainland China, but in her view, they failed to understand that the measure would ensure that the city did not become a haven for fugitives, and that existing legal protection and human rights would remain in force. Oh, sure, sure, they'll extradite you to mainland China, where your human rights will be enforced. And this chick says all this with a straight face. Yeah. It's chilling. Yeah. One last note on this. The German government now says it's examining whether its existing extradition agreement with Hong Kong would be affected if this extradition bill is actually approved in the territory. You're going to start seeing a number of countries saying, well, I don't know if we want our people to even be there then. If all of a sudden they can be just swept off the streets and taken to China. Well, and and you're sure as hell not going to extradite anybody to Hong Kong, to the Hong Kong authorities, because that is the communist Chinese in effect when this passes. So, no, you got to cancel your extradition treaty that day. Yep. President Trump and former Vice President Joe Biden have been verbally attacking each other with gusto in a back and forth that has laid bare the rising political stakes for each man. Biden said uh, in Iowa on Tuesday. Look, I I believe that the president is literally an existential threat to America for three reasons. One, uh, he is a genuine threat to uh, our, uh, our core values. And if you wondered about that, remember what happened in Charlottesville. After those statements, Trump fired back, suggesting Biden... I'd rather run against, I think, Biden than anybody. Uh, I think he's the weakest mentally. (laughs) And I like running against people that are weak mentally. I think Joe is the weakest up here. That wasn't all. Now, I have to tell you, he's a different guy. He looks different than he used to. He acts different than he used to. He's even slower than he used to be. Joe Biden is a dummy. Oh, boy. <laughs> Every time I hear it, I laugh. Dummy. <laughs> oh. oh, boy. He looks different. He's slower than he used to be. A lot of the candidates on stage with Biden are going to be subtly or overtly trying to make that argument, I think. Oh, yeah. 
if he comes off as old during the debate here in a couple of weeks, if he has a, a you know a senior moment as they call it, um, where he, where he seems you know kind of stumbling around a little, trying to find my what was I going to say? You know anything like that? Yeah, that normal people do all the time. Sure, but he's under the spotlight of this. Um, it's it's people are going to make a big deal out of it. Well, and they'll couch it in. I had so much respect for Joe Biden in two thousand eight. What was that? Eleven years ago when he. Ran right. with Barack Obama, and I still respect Joe Biden today, but this is a new time. They'll couch it in that, right. those terms. Right. Well, Bernie Sanders is uh, going to elect... You don't think somebody will just lean over and say, you all right down there, Grandpa? <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> hey, Father, time. <laughs> the next question's about the economy. Yeah, no, they probably won't go with that. Tell us about the Great Depression. <laughs> you having a good time, Joe? Bernie Sanders planning to electrify us all later today when he defends democratic socialism. The Vermont senator is going to be giving a speech at George Washington University. Says it's going to be an opportunity for him to explain democratic socialism in its historic context. Hey, awesome. I want to hear that. Yep. I want to hear that. It's absolutely worth hearing. Sure. Everybody's got their own definition of what socialism Mm -hmm. is. I want to hear his. A Southern California-based startup is now renting bunk beds in San Francisco. Podshare is charging 60 bucks a night or $1,200 a month for a hand-built punk, uh, bunk bed or pod in the Tenderloin area. The beds are made of high-end wood and come with a flat-screen TV and a nightlight. Renting with Podshare uh, buys access not only to the bed but also to shared spaces in a building that will be more like a hostel. Now, the company is planning to oh, add... Yeah, I read about this. It's, it's dormitory living. Yeah. Yeah, and the company's planning to add uh, more of these in other cities around the country. So basically, you rent a bunk bed for 60 bucks a night, 1200 a month. Who's policing it to keep the creepos out? I imagine the people living there will police it thoroughly. Anyway, that's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. So adults in Cal Unicornia now living like students and or prisoners in a dormitory. Fantastic. That's great. Well, you, get, you, you run out of money when you're giving money to uh, to illegals for their health care. Right. Um, right. Uh, we want to leave plenty of time to talk to Lon Hee Chin. We're going to talk about a couple of the big issues. Uh, obviously, immigration still, what's going to happen with that? And how big tech is becoming a campaign uh, topic, reining them in one way or another. I don't know what that means. We'll ask Lon Hee Chen next on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. Our country is winning again, winning, 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 winning again. We're winning like never before. We're doing great. And we're respected again all over the world. They respect us again. Uh, Our favorite Trump clip of the day, though, this is our Trump clip. We're going to use this clear through, especially if Biden's the nominee, all the way through November of uh, 2020. Joe Biden is a dummy. Oh, boy. Fantastic. Now, uh, among things we want to talk to Lon Hee Chen about, how the whole Silicon Valley big tech thing has changed in just a couple of years. Elizabeth Warren has a giant billboard up saying, break up big tech. Right. Remember, it was just a few years ago that Obama famously courted 
that crowd and got tons of money. Now Democrats are saying you got to break them up. I don't know what's going on there. A couple of big topics to take up with Lon He Chen, the host of the podcast, Crossing Lines with Lon He Chen. The, uh, Lon He is also David and Diane Steffi Research Fellow at the Hoover Institution, lectures and runs the domestic policy department there at Stanford. Perhaps you've heard of it. Lon He, welcome. How are you, sir? Uh, doing well. Trying to stay cool. Yeah, no kidding. A little hot on the West Coast these days. So uh, oh, yeah. why don't we start? You want to start with tech, Jack, as long as you brought it sure, up? Sure, yeah, just since I, I brought it up. What, um, you know, they, they famously lead left most of these big companies, but the Democrats are going after them. How is that going to uh, work as a political issue? Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, the tech, big tech companies, you know, you said what they get about Facebook and Google in particular, They've managed to do something that few industries uh, have done, which is to offend both Democrats and Republicans, which is why I think you're seeing them as the target. Now, there's also substantively good reasons why there is great suspicion about how these companies are operating and the regulatory environment they're operating in. So, you know, there are clearly this is not just all politics. There's substance to it as well. But to the politics for a minute, you know, the the right, the, the complaints on the right are well known which is that you've got Facebook and Twitter essentially picking and choosing which voices they allow on their platforms and in, and in what volume and in what manner. Uh, and, and that has always been offensive to people on the right because it seems like a lot of the voices that get excluded are right-leaning voices. And so they've been a source of consternation for conservative politicians for a while. Now, with the left, they got into trouble with the 2016 election. And the, and the perception there that the platforms were manipulated by foreign actors, in particular the Russians, uh, for, uh, you know, for the benefit of Donald Trump and against the benefit of Hillary Clinton. And that offended some on the left. Furthermore, I think people on the left have, have concerns as well about how these companies are using data and using information. That concern, by the way, is shared by particularly libertarians on the right. So. You know, there's this confluence of things where the tech companies have managed to offend both political parties, and that's why they're the target of regulation to a certain degree. Well, they're ubiquitous. They're incredibly powerful just because they have a tremendous amount of money to throw around. And I think the people of the U.S. have only now begun to reckon what are these companies really at their core? What are they doing? And and how in the world do they interact with government, given the fact that we're not even fully sure what they do? Uh, So it'll be interesting to see the politics of this evolve. I hope it stays bipartisan. I see no reason for it not to. But if Elizabeth Warren's making it a big campaign issue, I'd assume she would use that against Trump if she were in what way? I don't know what side he's on on this stuff. I I don't know. She's got just kind of her populist libertarian thing going at times, even if she asks for bigger government. But um, I don't know. Do you think Congress will take any meaningful action about data protection, for instance, Lonnie? I, I don't know that they will, but they, they probably should consider it. You know, there's a big privacy and data standard that recently went into effect in Europe. It's called the GDPR, and, and that has been the source of a lot of consternation for people because it, it has all these, as many European regulations do, it's impossible to comply with. And so, you know, the question is, what are we going to do in the U.S.? We don't really have a privacy regime in the same way the Europeans do. We have health privacy laws. We have a, a big law that protects our health care information. But we don't have a law that, that applies generally to privacy more broadly. And so, you know, what a lot of American companies are saying is, okay, look, do we need to basically comply with what Europe is doing? Or, or is something else going to come down the pike here in the U.S.? So lawmakers do need to consider this question of how we protect our personal privacy. 
Whether and in fact they'll do it, that's a totally different question. Yeah, well, Congress does two things. Nothing and overreact. That's a, a long-held uh, <laughs> saying that I love. Lon He Chen is on the line. Listen, you lecture uh, bright, plucky college students at Stanford on domestic policy. Uh, we're going to ask. I have to ask you to make it a little more high school junior-ish, but why in the world... Can Congress do nothing about serious immigration reform, call it comprehensive, top to bottom, uh, deal with, you know, asylum seekers and courts as well as border security? Why are they so bad at their jobs? Can can I give you a cynical answer? Please. It's politics. It's politics. Neither side really sort of would benefit politically, I think, from a from a deal. Now, the American people and our country and our economy would benefit massively from a deal. But if you think about it, the Democrats, they love to be able to play the card of, you know, the Republicans are anti-immigrant and they, you know, they essentially hate minorities and they want to do all these racist things. And, you know, a lot of people on the right want to play the card of, well, the left is open borders, they're soft, all they want to do is welcome a bunch of illegal immigrants in the country who want to, you know, suck up government resources. And so the rhetoric on the right and the left is so extreme, both sides seem to benefit from the debate continuing rather than the debate being resolved. And they'd much rather see this. Nancy Pelosi and President Trump would both rather see this, I think, as a campaign issue than as a policy issue to be solved, because everybody knows there's a deal to be done here. And, and nobody is doing it. And it's very frustrating for people who do and the few people who do want to get stuff done on Capitol Hill, because neither side's leadership is interested in really getting a deal done because the politics are so good for them. Well, it's a failure of our system or our politics then, right? I mean, if the majority of people are in agreement and they are based on all the polls I've seen on a cut on a bunch of key issues, like you said, there's a deal to be done that would be, you know, is over 50 percent easily on a whole bunch of different things. So is it a failure of democracy or just our politics of the time? Oh, gosh, there's a lot here to unpack. I mean, it it has to do with you have two minutes. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, well, you know, it it, it has to do. I I think I think you put it absolutely correctly, which is the politics of our time. We gravitate towards the extremes. And and it's not just every it's not everybody, by the way, but the loudest voices are at the extremes. Social media, to go back to the tech topic for a minute, social media has aided and abetted in the in the sort of um, magnifying of voices that are on the fringes. And as a result, those views, those extreme views, end up being the ones that drive politicians. And immigration, look, immigration is an issue that moves voters. I don't care if you're a liberal voter or a conservative voter. If you look back, you know, I'll give you a perfect example. In California, which is a state that you might not expect to be all that extreme, you might expect, well, okay, look, uh, you know, there's more moderate Republicans and, and maybe more moderate Democrats. The, the Republican Party in California, if you look back to the last several statewide elections, the driving issue has tended to be immigration. So immigration is an issue that both the right and the left are responsive to, and in particular the extremes, and those extremes have become even more significant in our politics because of a lot of different things. The way that we draw congressional district lines is one example. Social media is another reason. So there's lots of reasons why, but the extremes are winning right now. I like you saying social media has made it worse because it reminds me of P.J. O'Rourke being on our show a while back and saying, whose idea was it to let the dumbest 1% 
get in contact with each other. That's hilarious. Yeah, yeah, the dumbest and angriest. Well, you know, Lonnie, I think it's healthy. Uh, not cynicism, but skeptic skepticism is healthy. And the more voters who are hip to the concept of they want to have the issue, and if they solve the issue, they won't have the issue. More people who are hip to that, I think, the better yeah. off we'll be because they won't be easy, easily manipulated. God, that's maddening. Oh yeah. So, yeah, um, it is. And, but, you know, these, these trends are going to continue unless we begin to become more educated consumers of what's out there on social media. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm tired of all this. I've heard Ecuador is nice. If you're going to flee the United States, where would you go? Not the Dominican Republic. Oh, boy. You take one no. drink from the mini bar and you drop dead. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Hey, I, since we actually do have two minutes, and I don't know if you want to answer this question or not, how did you come to your political views as a minority in the United States of America? Well, you know, a lot of it has to do with, you know, I, I grew up in Southern California uh, in, in the San Gabriel Valley. And for me, um, you know, my parents weren't political. My parents are, are both, you know, academic, scientists, medical types. And they were very skeptical when I told them, by the way, that I wanted to get involved in politics and policy. They sort of said, well, why would you want to do that with your life? But I, good I question. you know, I, 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 yeah, I still ask myself that question. So a, a lot of times what happens with, with people in my position who didn't really have uh, you know, parental views uh, to guide them was I sort of picked it up from politicians and others whom I admired. And it, this was a time of George H.W. Bush, who's still someone that I regard highly. Uh, and for me, I, I sort of said, you know, I kind of believe what that guy believes in. And the more I studied it and the more that I got into it, the more I realized, look, my worldview really is fundamentally one premised on liberty and freedom and responsibility, which are values that more closely align with the conservative movement and the Republican Party. So it was really through observation and osmosis more than anything else. That's yeah. good stuff right there. Lon he I Chen. go with movie stars, whatever movie stars say. That's right. how I decide. Host well, of the, uh, Lon He's the host of the podcast Crossing Lines with Lon He Chen. He uh, heads up the uh, domestic policy department there at Stanford. David and Diane Steffi Research follow at the Hoover Institution, and always a great conversation, Lon He. We, we sure enjoy it. Uh, we think the audience does, but we're going to keep doing it whether they do or not because we love talking to you. <laughs> Good to hear. Thanks, guys. All right. Yeah, thanks, brother. I don't All suggest right. life experience and uh, coming to your own conclusion. I would go with uh, musicians and movie stars. Right. Let and them who, tell you. Who's more clever in their put downs on Twitter? <laughs> That's who's what I go. Snarkiest? Yeah. Who's the, the most smug and contemptuous of their opponents? Go with them. Absolutely. Armstrong and Getty.